This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've practiced in Fayetteville, Arkansas for over 20 years, and I absolutely love what I do. So I started podcasting last October to begin to extend the walls of my practice into social media, and I'm delighted you're here. I've learned so much from the patients that I've worked with, and sometimes I feel like I'm a conduit between them and new patients, or now you, just spreading the wisdom that I've learned from people who want to make changes, who want to live with integrity, and who want to cope with whatever mental illness they might have. So today we're going to be talking about the topic of getting along for the children's sake. Obviously, there's a huge difference between divorce without children and divorce with children. It's not even the same animal, actually. I did want to remind you that I have another episode on divorce. It's called What to Expect When You're Divorcing. And that's episode 13. A lot of people are sometimes surprised what their divorce is really like. And so I'm trying to help people deal with the reality of what is divorce. So if you're interested, if you're considering divorce or whatever, episode 13 might be for you. But today's episode is on nine ways to make divorce with children better. Some of it's just common sense. Some of it is what I've learned the hard way by watching patients of mine actually make mistakes and having to help them clean it up. So if you start out trying to do better, maybe that will be helpful. And today's email from a listener is about a young woman who is dealing with depression in college and the stigma attached to it. So hopefully this episode will be helpful, not necessarily because you're considering divorce, but we all know someone who's divorced with children And maybe you can pass it on to them. Thanks so much, and we'll get right to it. I'll share with you that I didn't think I was going to be a mom. For a long time, actually, I hadn't wanted to be. I thought I was lacking the gene that made you want to wipe noses or sing lullabies or run carpool. I loved the nephews that I had, don't get me wrong. I didn't really connect with some desire to make the bulk of my day about answering a toddler's incessant why or or having a teenager just as incessant saying why not. It just wasn't in my proverbial cards. I didn't think. But then I met and married my now husband and everything changed for me. I believed we could create a life together and nurture that life. We were solid enough. We'd work hard enough. I trusted him. And for the first time in my adult life, I trusted myself more. I could handle responsibility. I was lucky in many ways. I'd married and divorced two men who already had children and who didn't want any more. I've often been very, very grateful that they didn't. When I divorced, I didn't have to continue dealing with my immature choice of mates. Whatever diseased dynamic that had existed, at least between the two of us, could be over. I had a lot of emotional work to do, that's for sure. But continued parenting with my exes wasn't in front of me. And I was very, very glad about that. But enough about me. (laughs) Obviously, divorce with children can be something quite different. It takes a lot of emotional maturity 
to try to get along for the children's sake and do it sincerely. And my hat, frankly, is off to the people who do it and do it well. I admire their ability to put their children first. It's not as difficult if the divorce obviously was amicable or when two people have agreed on a lot of things during the divorce procedure itself. But let's face it, defensiveness and irrationality can slip up on anyone, right? So I've developed some guidelines that I've learned by watching countless people maneuver the parenting waters after divorce. The first and foremost gets things started the right way. You tell the children about the divorce together with responsibility shared. A lot of people ask me about how to have this conversation. And my answer is always, you've got to realize that this is a conversation you're going to have many times with your kids. Why did y'all get divorced? Even if one or both of you have had an affair, it's not helpful to the children to be told that one of you is to blame for the breakup. Their lives are being affected enough. To add the pressure of siding with one or the other is too much. As they get older, they may decide for themselves what happened, but don't especially initially put them in the middle. It won't help your own grief, even though you might get some kind of temporary support. When people make this mistake frequently, at least one child will feel like they have to side with the parent who's being blamed because he or she is left alone. So it can really set up some damaging dynamics. The second way you can get along for the children's sake is don't allow others around you to downgrade or disrespect your ex. People basically meddle and they want to offer support, but it can be hurtful because it gets in the way of your own decision-making about your relationship with your ex. Your job is to try to remember what you liked about him or her, what you still trust about them, and how can you co-parent with them successfully. Family or friends putting a lot of negative ideas in your head is not helpful to you or your children. So if they say something catty around you, say, you know, you may be trying to be helpful, but at this point, He or she was my choice. I've got to take responsibility for that and move on in a relationship with them. Here's the third. Have a weekly conversation about the kids, how they're doing, how they're handling the divorce, what their plans are, how those plans can be carried out. I realize it's very hard to do this amicably when you're very angry, very hurt, but it's a wonderful gift to give your children. And if you can't have conversations that don't go awry or someone gets mad or you can't help but slip into old communication patterns with each other, then do it by email. You know, kids want to know tangible things. They want to know whether or not Santa is going to come to their new house or if each parent is still going to come to their basketball games. Their behavior at school may change or they may have trouble adjusting to a parent's absence. Be as flexible as you can be with their need for a time to grieve. A judge may have decided a time schedule or maybe you mediated one, but really, you're in charge. A caring parent is aware of what each of their children need. Sometimes one parent will see things much more positively, like the kids are doing fine, and the other will focus on what's troubling to them. I wish you and dad were still together, for example. That's normal. One thing you've got to realize is your children will hopefully be telling you the truth, but there's a high likelihood that they may also be telling you what they believe you want to hear. I mean, their reality is daddy divorced mom or mom divorced dad or either way around. 
they get scared that they could damage the relationship with you too. So what co-parents can do together is to create a balance between helping them feel optimistic about the future, but at the same time, allowing them to be sad about a change they did not choose. Here's number four of ways you can get along for the kids. If you can't talk or listen to your ex without becoming bitter or angry, then you need to seek help yourself. Emotional divorce is a lot harder than legal divorce. And you still may have a lot of painful feelings that you need to work through. So for your sake and your children's, it's important that you understand and accept what went on during your marriage, what worked about it, and what definitely didn't. You know, you can also both go into what I call divorce therapy. I've done this several times where the toxicity of the relationship is really hurting the children. And so two exes will come in sometimes with their current spouses, if they have them, and we'll talk about more appropriate communication. This is not that you're trying to reconcile the marriage, but you may need to show empathy toward your ex's feelings as well as taking responsibility for the impact that each of you are having on the kids. So just a little understanding of your ex's perspective that can be different than yours, obviously, can go a long, long way. The fifth is empower your kids to speak up. What I mean by this is if your ex is saying negative things to your children about you and they come home and tell you they're asking too many questions about you or the children feel put in the middle in some way, then empower them to ask that parent to stop. Now, obviously, a very young child isn't mature enough to do this, but an older child can. If there's a question of a parent losing control if a child asks them to stop, then that's another issue and may have to be addressed back in the court system. But you can tell your child to say, you know, Dad, I don't like it when you talk about Mom that way. It makes me uncomfortable or vice versa. You're not going to be there to act as a buffer, so you have to empower them to speak up. Now, number six is something that many, many people do not do. Introduce a new person or job change, change of religious preference to your ex with respect. The advice that is hardly ever followed in my practice is wait a year or at least several months before you begin dating someone else after you get divorced and certainly do not include your children in that choice. However, Many people do not do that, and it's just not the best thing. So much in your children's lives have changed, and of course, both of your lives will go on. You'll meet other people. You might begin working or change jobs. You might start going to church or make some other spiritual change. And for none of this do you need your ex's permission. But things will go much more smoothly for your children if you recognize that those changes are going to impact your kids, and thus your ex. And if the change is big enough, it's a good idea to give your ex a heads up about it. This is true, especially if you're introducing someone else that you may love to the kids. Simply contacting your ex and letting them know this is about to happen is a good thing. Again, they don't have veto power, although they may not like it. But giving them what you would appreciate yourself could be very, very helpful. The seventh one we all learned in kindergarten, thank one another. Take a minute to text your ex that you appreciated them picking up the kids on, quote unquote, your day, 
or changing weekend plans to accommodate that your family's coming into town. Thank them for taking time off work to take care of an ill child or helping with homework you didn't understand. Yes, it's your job and their job to be a good parent. But just because you're divorced doesn't mean that gratitude and appreciation has to end. Number eight can be a little sticky. Be gracious if you have primary custody. It's very common for parents who don't have custody of their children to feel what's called disenfranchised, meaning that they feel as if their influence over the children has been taken away. I've had men and women crying in my office saying, what I want for my children no longer matters. I won't be important to them, especially if they don't have primary custody. If you have primary custody, or even obviously with joint custody, talking with each other about important decisions Even if it's not required by law, it's just good practice and it will help your children. The last one is make going back and forth as easy as possible for your kids. Nobody likes to feel as if they're living out of their luggage or a backpack. Have personal things at both houses for the kids, including especially clothes, pajamas, and personal things. Now, obviously, cost is an issue here and not all things can be replicated, A bike might have to go back and forth, or a family pet usually stays in the home. But you know, there's a transitional movement called nesting that's helpful with couples who at least are amicable, where parents come and go during or after the divorce, and the children stay in the home. It doesn't work in all cases, but it can help children have time to adjust before they're leaving the home that they know. Some people actually carry this a little too far, And the children are confused because everyone's getting along so well that they don't even know why their parents divorced in the first place. But you can decide what's right for you and your children. And the more you're respectful with your ex, the better off that they will be. So now we have an email from a listener. She gives me her name and says, I'm a student at the University of Illinois in Champaign. I wanted to say thank you for your podcast. I was diagnosed with depression earlier this year and have been on medication since February. I've only recently started listening to self-work, but it's incredibly reassuring to have something out there that openly talks about mental health. There is such a stigma attached to it, especially on college campuses. Your podcast is helping me come to realize that my diagnosis doesn't change who I am. Being on medication and going to therapy doesn't make me weak, even though most of the time that's how I feel. And even though I haven't been diagnosed with anxiety, your podcast helps lessen the extreme anxiety I feel about my depression. I often feel that having depression makes me less of a person, and that is the only thing people will see when they look at me. It's a long, slow, and incredibly hard process, but I'm coming to understand my depression and anxiety a little better. And self-work has helped me so much with that. Thank you. Well, one, I'm absolutely delighted that self-work is helping. That's the reason why I'm doing it. (laughs) And I appreciate you letting me know. But I wanted to answer a little bit more of your question. You're so right. Your diagnosis does not define you. It's what you have, not who you are. I can't stress that enough to all of you. I've shared with you that I have panic disorder. That does not define me. It's what I have. It's what I experience. I used to have an eating disorder. So 
I recognize that when you have a recurrent mental illness, one that does not have a beginning, a middle, and an end, it can begin to feel as if you are defined by it. But it's not just what people see. People see your many other attributes as well. I go on in my answer. Depression can cause you to feel vulnerable, but vulnerability isn't weakness either. When you think about it, it's the people who cannot bear to think about or accept and work with their vulnerabilities that have the most fear. Not those that are staring it in the face. I wanted to say in my response on this podcast that we all need to remember that most mental illness or a great majority of it emerges during the years that people are in college. It emerges between the years of 18 and 25. So many students on college campuses are dealing with anxiety and depression, eating disorders, maybe even bipolar disorder, and they need our help. If you have a child that age, please, please educate them. If depression or anxiety or psychosis or any kind of mental illness runs in your family, and of course, drinking and drug use is also rampant and can only worsen a mental illness. I noticed a recent article, in fact, that I found fascinating that a lot of colleges are now hiring counselors to live on campus so that if a counselor was in your dorm or in the next building over, you wouldn't have to go to the counseling center. You could run into them and share a cup of coffee. I'm glad to see that that's happening. So thank you to this listener for a great question. I would love to hear from you. I say this every podcast, and I mean it every podcast. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'd love it if you email me. Let me know who you are. Let me know what you're dealing with, why you listen to self-work, and I'll answer you. I'm the only one who sees that email. I have a website and a blog. That website has the original name of drmargaretrutherford.com. And I do blog there, like I said, weekly on various topics, a lot of the same topics I podcast about. But if you subscribe there, you'll also get my podcasts and my blog posts in your email. And then if you can, take just a few minutes that it takes to leave a rating or review wherever you listen. I'd so appreciate that. But I'd also love it if you just told your friends about self-work. I know I'm far more likely, as I've said on other podcasts, to listen to something if a friend or a colleague has told me that it's well worth the time. We all are so busy these days. And of course, subscribe. That really gives me motivation to continue because I know people are counting on me to give them one more podcast, one more week. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to self-work.